Hello! Welcome to Foss and Crafts. A podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together. With my co-host, Morgan. And my co-host, Chris. So, Foss and Crafts. Huh? Well, uh, why don't we break that down? So, let's start out with Foss, um, you know, which expands to free and open source software. Some people use Floss for free Libre and open source software, and I really like the term Libre, but I don't like an acronym that sounds like dental hygiene, personally. So I usually go with FOSS when it comes to things I say out loud. Um, but, you know, as in terms of free and open source software, I mean, it means stuff that we're um, generally the source is available. We're allowed to copy, distribute, modify the software and, and source code. And uh, usually as a community dev- endeavor, not always. Do you think that's a pretty reasonable explanation of FOSS? Yeah, I think so. Um, Crafts is mostly about craftsmanship in this context. And I think that a lot of free and open source software counts in a craftsmanship kind of way in that people put a lot of time, energy, and effort into it. Um, And then we're also talking about more traditional crafts, as in making things (laughs) in manual ways. Sure. So... I mean, in some ways, the intersection of those two, if we include um, crafts as a way of producing culture, I mean, I guess there's a broad range of crafting as in terms of culture. Material culture is something you're very Perhaps, familiar. Perhaps, yes. Um, and, you know, artwork and just, you know, all, all, all sorts of such things. Um, oftentimes when we kind of talk about similar licensing patterns to that, I guess we're usually talking about free culture. Mm-hmm. And free culture can encompass, uh, well, parts of FOSS projects, uh, a lot of the output of FOSS projects at least, and then also a lot of kind of community craft projects and uh, projects that are made for a commons of use. Could you, we want to give some examples like, you know, Wikipedia is one clear example. Wikipedia is one clear clear example. Um, I've been making a lot of masks lately um, to distribute using a pattern that was made under a free culture license. Yeah. And uh, distributed under a free culture license. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of other user freedom topics, too, that I think we were hoping to kind of explore on this show. You know, whether it's network freedom or... Um, you know, privacy and security and, uh, you know, to, to like the hardware that you run and stuff like that. I mean, I think that those are kind of all within the domain of stuff that we, we thought would be, you know, appropriate for this show. Yeah. So, Chris, um, tell me about your free and open source software background. Um, so I, I guess I'm known largely for um, a lot of the uh, um, stuff I've done in terms of federated social network stuff, especially probably most famously the ActivityPub protocol, which is a way of connecting together decentralized social networks. Uh, it's a W3C standard. You can check it out. Uh, I feel weird talking about these things sometimes because it feels very talking about me, but you asked. So. It's, it's in the outline, so you have to keep going. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, we are breaking the fourth wall of our show on the very first episode. So expect a lot of bickering and banter. That is true. Um, so the, 
you know, so I'm also interested in free software and free culture licensing and I've been involved in that, you know, quite a bit. Um, and, but a lot of the contributions I make are sometimes just writing software and I really enjoy, especially lispy languages and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, Morgan, I'm going to turn this on you and say, um, why don't you describe your relationship to crafts? Would you consider yourself a crafty person? I am a very crafty person. So I made a list here of some of the craft uh, types that I enjoy. Sewing, costuming, embroidery, knitting, crochet, spinning, weaving, drawing, painting, pencils, ceramics, a little bit of woodworking, picture framing, calligraphy, and vector art, usually using Inkscape. That's a lot of stuff. Does it? How does it tie into your day-to-day, though? Kind of, you know, the work that you do. Is that, does that tie in in a crafty manner as well? In fact, it does. So I am an art historian. I am currently very close to finishing my dissertation on women in textile production in the Roman Empire. So I started having an interest in crafting as a hobby, and it took me about four years into my PhD program to realize that, hey, I could actually write about this uh, in an academic manner as well. Um, So I study Roman art and archaeology, specifically craft practices and women's work. Um, And Roman art and archaeology is an inherently interdisciplinary field of study. It's I'm within the art history department, but it also incorporates history, classics, women and gender studies, um, and a whole host of other languages that you have to study in order to be able to uh, read the primary and secondary sources in this. So the title of our show seems to imply a certain degree of interdisciplinarity. And I feel like if we're asking, you're, you you asked me about my FOSS stuff, and I asked you about your, your craft stuff. So I feel like we got to turn this ship around here and go in the opposite direction. So I'm going to ask you about your FOSS background. What connects you to the free and open source software community? The first thing that got me involved in the free and open source software community was Chris. And because of Chris, I have been using GNU Linux uh, on my computer for over a decade. Uh, It started in the dorms when everyone in our dorm got the same virus, except for Chris. Yeah. Because Chris used Linux and nobody else did. And when I asked them for help to get the virus off of my computer, they said, don't use Windows next time. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a smug free software college kid thing to say, I guess. But, um, but I mean, that you're, it's, it's not just you're running it on your computer, although, I mean, you have been involved in the free software community in terms of those kind of things and attending conferences and stuff like that. But, I mean, you that kind of work also bleeds into, I mean, the, the stuff that ties in with your, your actual job and your academic background, right? Yeah, like, so as a project assistant for uh, a program a project in the art history department i got a job as a project manager and developer for a digital humanities project uh it's the william ramsey uh project through uw madison um and basically i got that job because between having a spouse who was a programmer and having some background working on databases using FileMaker. Um, I was the most qualified person in the art history department to build a website for a digital humanities project. 
So Chris was very patient over summer and helped me learn how to program using Python. And I built a website uh, for this project. And that was the beginning of my digital humanities work. It, it expanded um, to a series of workshops that Chris and I led ran together to teach programming to humanities majors who didn't feel like they were tech savvy enough to do programming. Well, I mean, not just tech savvy, like, I mean, so, so this is a bit of the diversion, but I mean, it was kind of interesting running that workshop because the way that we framed things in the workshop, I mean, what we were, te- we might as well say what we were teaching, right? As we were mm-hmm. teaching Racket um, and how to use Racket Scribble thing to write papers, right? And mm-hmm. on, on the flyer, we wrote, does it feel like programming is a thing you'd like to be able to do, but you feel like it's not targeted for you? And just writing that, I mean, had a big impact on the way that mm-hmm. the, the class was stru- structured, I think, right? Like, yeah. Uh, it was seven out of eight participants in our first workshop were women. Right. And um, we didn't write anything about gender on the flyer. It was just the way that we framed it in terms of, you know, people who felt like they were not part of the computer science background being kind of welcomed in, I think. It probably also helped that it was sponsored by the material culture focus group. So it was within a humanities discipline right. as well. Yeah. yeah. So sorry about that tangent. But I, I, I think I think that it's interesting because, I mean, the this whole topic of free and open source software in academia, I mean... I think these this started out as two separate things for you, but the weaving of those two together became more important to you over time. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And I have become more of an advocate for free and open source software in academia since incorporating more digital humanities into my own research and my projects. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to turn this back around to Chris. So Chris, tell me about your craft background. So the funny thing is, is that I actually was not planning to become a computer programmer as my career. That was kind of my hobby. When I was in college, I was an interdisciplinary humanities major, which kind of means like the major where you like everything. So you just kind of study almost everything and figure out how to tie them together. Um, and at that time, I thought, well, I was really getting into free and open source software. And I was convinced there is no way that I could make money and also stick to my free and open source software principles. So I become a writer and an artist to pay for my programming. And how'd that work out for you? Turns out even as somebody who's dedicated to free and open source software principles, still make more money as a free and open source software programmer. But I mean, uh, I mean, it has been useful to be to kind of have the background of both, right? You know, having the background of having taken a lot of philosophy classes gave me a lot of analytical context to think about free and open source software principles from a traditional philosophy background, right? Having a lot of writing skills allowed me to do other kinds of writing. And, you know, I, I, I have in various projects tried to incorporate, you know, di- some digital painting and sometimes ASCII art and other such things. Sadly, you know, not as much these days as I'd like to in the kind of projects that I work on. But, I mean, I feel like it's it's been very important. I mean, I guess in terms of other crafty things, uh, I mean... From a from a domestic standpoint, so it's probably pretty obvious that Morgan and I are married by the by this point in the show. I mean, we've got a yeah. We didn't actually introduce that. I mean, we didn't explain that we have a real classic bigger, which I feel like is really important for like a married couple, right? Like, yeah. they, but I but so like in our household, I mean, I'm definitely the cook, and you're definitely the person who uh, uses power tools. I mean, I'm not 
even allowed to touch them as a household rule, which a lot of people are like, that sounds really overbearing. Chris isn't even allowed to touch the power tools. So let me tell you a story. (laughs) There was one time I was building a bookshelf, my first woodworking project really outside of picture framing. Um, And I was using an orbital sander for the first time and I had to switch the sanding disc on the sander. So I was being very careful. I unplugged the, the sander. I took off the old disc. I put on the new disc and I was wearing headphones while I was doing this project. And as soon as I put on the new disc, I hear screaming and I'm like, did this start? And my hand is gone and I just didn't realize it. And then the screaming continues and Chris comes through the back door limping. I I had stepped two steps outside of our house and sprained my ankle. Morgan is using an orbital sander, and I walk outside and immediately injure myself. And and yeah, there there have been injuries from using non-power tools of, of very mundane varieties, which we won't get into in this episode. This is not about a Chris injures themselves episode. There are a lot of stories about that. There are a that. lot of stories about Chris almost dying. I mean, so so actually, I feel like we spend a bunch of time talking about ourselves. And I, I first of all, that makes me kind of self-conscious sometimes because like, I feel like a show is not supposed to be about us. But we figure a lot of times people listen to the intro episode to get a sense of what's going on. So we figured maybe since we're expecting to be the two most common guests, we'd kind of want to give our audience a, some sort of introduction to who we are, right? And kind of explain how we wove this these kind of disparate topics together into a somewhat cohesive hopefully theme right so so on that note so we we mentioned the topic of the show the title of the show as foss and crafts from the perspective of individually foss and crafts but there's probably a pretty obvious pun in there which is that it you know the relationship to arts and crafts which uh, is everyone's favorite summer school class where they learn to glue together um, uh, popsicle sticks with Elmer's glue, right? So since this is a po- an audio-only podcast, you can't see the glower that I'm getting from Morgan right here. So I will allow Morgan to respond in turn <laughs> to the thing that I just said. So... Clearly, it's a reference to the arts and crafts movement, which I will only very briefly explain right now because we will probably have an entire podcast episode on the arts and crafts movement uh, in the future. But we thought that there was a lot of kind of ideological overlap between free and open source software and the arts and crafts movement, uh, which was largely a reaction against uh, the industrialization of art and design. So all of the design, the interior furnishings, the wallpapers and stuff like that were being mass produced in factories. And this movement was trying to reclaim older methods of producing and give some creative integrity and power back to the the craftsmen, the people who were building these things, basically taking the power away from larger industry and corporations um, and putting the, putting that power back in the hands of the developers. Right. Which, I mean, I guess is kind of a returning of agency to kind of, um, kind of to the general public, right? Is kind of the vision of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, 
this, so so I feel like there is definitely a very clear free and open source software connection there in the sense that we a lot of what we do we're very concerned about making sure that people are empowered they have agency to be able to be involved in their work or at least have enough agency so that um, there isn't some specific monopolistic organization that gets to make all the decisions and there's no community that involvement of being able to kind of shift direction, which I feel like there's there's parallels there. But I mean, you know, free and open source software isn't against automation, right? We've got configure, make, and make install. That's how I compile my programs. I don't hand stitch my assembly every time. So, you know, does... So where 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 does this begin and where does this end? I mean, the the arts and crafts movement did it. Uh, is it completely disconnected from industrialization? Does where g- give me give me a sense here? So once you create a design, no matter how handmade and labor intensive it is, it can obviously be replicated, right? So uh, arts and crafts designs were drawn through the industrial complex at some point, but also uh, the arts and crafts movement had problems in that um, it was very labor intensive and it was very cost intensive as well when you could get cheap products and materials through industrial processes to use these medieval techniques and materials it ended up being more of an elitist movement than the initial plans for the movement intended. Well, and I mean, that's a concern in some ways in the free and open source software community is like, is it something that we're empowering just a, a number of rich developers who are very privileged and have access to these kind of resources? Or is this about empowering everyone, right? And there's also a certain amount of co-option that, that can happen in these things. So even if you acknowledge that and you try to do your best to be able to handle that, I mean, right now I'm staring at some curtains. Morgan's a big fan of window curtains. And we've got, I mean, these, how would you describe these curtains? These are very arts and crafty, right? Like that. Yeah, they're they're kind of a, an arabesque pattern uh, in shades of gray and a rusty red. But it's definitely a mass-produced curtain. I mean, a lot of arts and craftsy things are very curly and very lacy looking, right? Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. and those patterns, you know, we see them everywhere in mass-produced settings, even though they started in this kind of return-to-agency type way. Mm -hmm. You can get William Morris wallpaper designs that are mass-produced. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, similarly, um, there's a lot of patterns in free and open source software that we as part of the free and open source software development community made right like we're like we made we figured out how to do decent like we figured out how to do um the kinds of issue tracking and version control and the kind of communication patterns that all the proprietary organizations use today and they can just copy that i mean mako will um, has given quite a few talks kind of along that subject line so I mean, I don't feel like this is a perfect analogy, but it's an interesting reflection point and at least a good conversation starter for your first episode. Yeah. Um, And so this was a very loose idea that Chris and I were bouncing back and forth for a while. And so one day we sat down at lunch and we just were like, let's brainstorm. Do we have any ideas? Well, I mean, the idea, the, I mean, because it did seem like a challenge, right? Like either it would be too loose or it would be just, you know, not enough there to look at this kind of stuff from an interdisciplinary context. But we pulled out a couple of 
large index cards. Um, we have a lot of index cards in our house. Um, and just started writing down ideas and front to back, you know, covered a couple index cards and realized we had at least a year's worth of content. And that was just chatting over lunch, right? So mm-hmm. I think we've got plenty to say. So, I mean, I guess hopefully if people enjoyed the kind of things brought up in this episode, they'll like the future episodes we put out. Hopefully. Post-introduction, where we talk about ourselves less-ish, maybe? Oh, definitely. (laughs) Neither of us like talking about ourselves. We both hated this. But we do like talking about the things we do when they're not brought up in the context of talk about yourself, though, right? Like, that is, like, both a thing. You start talking, you're like, tell me about this thing. We will both go off. (laughs) Expect a lot of that on the show, too. Yeah. So, I guess that's seems like a pretty good intro episode material we're we're at about just over 20 minutes in i guess um not quite half an hour yet feels like a good length for a first episode so maybe we should cut it off right here wrap it up is there so we are looking forward to starting this project with you and i hope you guys are interested as well yeah uh thanks everyone uh i guess tune in next time see ya thank you bye Foss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. It's hosted by Morgan Lemmerweber and Christopher Lemmerweber. The intro music is composed by Christopher Lemmerweber, meaning myself, and Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show. The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project, and is waved into the public domain under CC01.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information. You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts at octodon.social, on Twitter as at Foss and Crafts, or you can email us, podcast at fossandcrafts.org. We also have a chat room. Join our community, hash Foss and Crafts, on irc.freenode.net. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash C-W-E-B-B-E-R. That's it for this week. Until next time, stay free. And stay crafty. 